well, I'm on quite a noisy train as it happens. Uh, a tiny little uh, two-carriage train, the second one of the day actually. I left Lisbon at lunchtime, capital city of Portugal, and I changed to a tiny little place called Casa Branca, uh, which is essentially just a railway station in the middle of these rolling plains of Alentejo with their olive groves and their cork trees casting these heavy shadows and, uh, and the cattle standing in the fields. And um, we are slowing now because very, very soon we're going to be arriving in Beja, uh, where in an hour or two I'm going to be hooking up with Pete because there's a bike race in town. This place is, this place is really special. Um, we're in um, a little town in the middle of the region of Alentej, to give it its Portuguese pronunciation. Um, it's not the Portuguese pronunciation, but it's the best you're going to get out of me. Close enough. And I've, I've finally met up with Pete. This has been a long time in the kind of like organising, hasn't it, Pete? There's been quite a lot of logistics to consider here, but that's your game these days. Logistics. Not that you've been a remotest, it's my name. <laughs> remotest it's help my game. in sorting Pete's this my name, logistics, it's <laughs> my game. Uh, no, Ned, you sort of flew solo on your logistics on this one. Completely, yeah. Met me here in this lovely village. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, ready to race tomorrow, aren't we? We're yeah, we're sitting in the in the in the plaza the, the plaza de la, I can't I can't the plate the, the Republic Square basically, which is the main square in um, in Beja, which is just like. I mean, I've only ever been to Portugal and seen the big cities like Porto and Lisbon, where I've just come from. And I think, sort of vaguely remember that mum and dad took us on a holiday, you know, when I was still sort of taken on holiday by mum and dad in my early 20s um, to the Algarve, which is a whole different thing. Which and would be 19... <laughs> <laughs> it would, it, yeah, it would. Um, early 90s, Pete. Okay. It's not that far away, is it? Well... Early 90s, um, to the Algarve. And I also remember going to an England football training camp before, now, nah, which one would it have been? Before Euro 2004, which is where Wayne Rooney made his amazing oh, debut yeah. for England. Don't know if you were across it then, really, Pete, because you would have been like three or four. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was older than that. I can remember Michael Owen, 2002. 2002? 98. 98? Yeah, 98. Was it? Yeah. Well, that was when he, he scored the goal against Argentina. Was it 98? Yeah. 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 But yeah, I can remember that, so yeah. I can definitely remember. But I remember, yeah, and that was that was somewhere on the Algarve, but I've never been to was the interior. Was that when David Portugal. Beckham did his metatarsal? That was 2002. Oh, that was 2002. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And then 2006, Germany woke up, Wayne Rooney did his metatarsal. Mm. It was like the, the, <laughs> the era of the metatarsals. <laughs> um... Yeah, I've had a great, I've had a great few days, Pete. It's I've incredible. Had, I've place, just done it? a little bit of, I've done a little bit of sort of like tourism under the guise of coming to see you and doing a bit of podding, and it's been absolutely brilliant. There's not much not to like, is there? People are lovely, friendly. The vibe is completely relaxed. Food is good. Weather for this time of year, oh, is incredible. I mean, really surprising. Scenery, not, yeah, just breathtaking. The roads that we're on today and the train, it, uh, yeah, only did an hour, but basically in and around Beja. I mean, the olive trees, I'm not sure what, I think it was um, almonds. Yeah. Almond trees, yeah. uh, maybe cork. Yeah, did you see the cork trees? Yeah, and the I way did, they're, yeah. They're, they're cut, so sort of like their armpits, basically, on, um, you know, up to that height. Well, you can see the, 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 
oh, we were trying. We it? were trying to work out what trees they were on the yeah. ride, um, and there was there was ones that looked like olive trees, but they were more green, like as yeah. in brighter yeah. green. Yeah, because the leaves on olive trees are, are kind of like almost like grey green, aren't yeah, they? Very yeah, sort of And slender. I've never seen and I've never seen olive trees lines like they were. Yeah, it's usually they're more that, just that sporadically. Was cork, that was cork trees. Yeah. Okay. And well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really stretching my knowledge here, but a cork tree is, a, I think it's a subspecies or a type of oak tree mm -hmm. that obviously wouldn't grow in the UK. It has to be a very hot climate and they absorb it. It's slightly controversial now, isn't it? Because you have to irrigate you know, the cork plantations hugely. They absorb a lot of water and water is a really scarce resource mm -hmm. here. And let's like, whisper it quietly because we're in the home of kind of like the historic heart of cork production for millennia, but there's no point in it anymore there's no point you know like there is no there's no point in cork really you know other other uh, well yeah keep your voice down is that <laughs> <laughs> but it seems a real shame doesn't it because you've got this ancient craft and this kind of tradition yeah, yeah. and um it's quite extraordinary and doesn't it take sort of something like off the top of a hundred years or something for a tree to grow mature enough for the bark to be thick enough to actually harvest the cork. Well, this is the problem, isn't it, with modern society? Just got no patience. Got no patience. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with that? Yeah. Nothing's wrong with that. That's that's great. That, that's I think I think what's wrong with it is it gobbles up too much water, and we haven't got much water. Oh, okay. Well, I, I mean, for a place problem. that doesn't have, say, we don't have much water here. Yeah. It's very green, isn't it? I was thinking that. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful, and it's really um, undepopulated, isn't it? Unpopulated. Mm. So well, so much land is untouched. Yeah, the whole drive down here. I mean, motorways with you'd pass maybe four on the way down. Honestly, three-hour drive. I think it was yeah around three hundred k ish. Honestly, just empty roads the whole way down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, we're <laughs> you've been here for like weeks already, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, on the way Portuguese. down. On the way down, actually got stopped by the police. Where? That's a story. In France. No, no, on the way down to here from... Oh, oh, I see, from, yeah, yeah. Uh, Miranda, Dakova, where we were. Do you the still have to drive camp. the cars from the service course, like, down to, to uh, training Well, depending on logistics, so... Sometimes was, you do, sometimes I picked do. the car up from Lisbon Airport because ah. Nico Roach dropped it there after Camino. Oh, okay. Drove it to Blimey. Miranda, Dakova, and then, yeah, obviously it's been there since. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so then we, we were on our way down here, stopped for petrol and the police car pulled up beside me and I was like oh no what have I done now and it was a random check to see if you own the car your registration etc etc so right. that was quite complicated when I'm driving the car and <laughs> you know it's like well it's a team's car are you the owner no not really <laughs> not really like how do I explain this one we got there in the end yeah but if there's ever someone who should be questioned further it would probably be me and they just said <laughs> and actually they said when did you arrive in Portugal and Honestly, the last, because we raced on Sunday, um, and I was trying to wrap my brain, thinking, when when the heck did I arrive in Portugal? Couldn't remember. Yeah. And the, poli the police woman was like, it doesn't matter what day, what month. She was like, "Do you did you arrive in last year or this year? And I was like, <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> this year. She was like, all right, well, that's, all, that's all I need to know. And then she said, okay, just make sure you have your car documents, <laughs> your documents, and then you're fine. And then just wave me on. So, are you starting to run up against your Brexit sort of thing of like the number of days and all that kind of? You have to keep an eye on it. I'm not quite sure. Now, to oh, be okay, honest. right. Well, okay. <laughs> it's a separate issue. That yeah, we'll probably not deal with right here and now. Um, <laughs> anyway, so. 
So, uh, yeah, I, I've come via Lisbon. Um, but the whole reason that I kind of bolted this trip on was that... And I d I've done it for the last five years, I think. I've flown out to commentate on Milan San Roma. It's pretty much like, apart from the UAE tour that I did and then dropped. Mm. <laughs> it's like, it's normally the first um, on-site commentary that I do every year, actually, Milan San Remo. And I sign up to it. I always sign up it's to it. It's the old cobwebs off. Yeah, and I kind of like, I sign up to it just as no, because RCS tends to sort of ring me up in November and go, what what races do you want to do next year? And I go, well, Milan San Remo, because it's brilliant. <laughs> and it, like that's in November, just because it, it sounds like really appealing. When you think about March and you think about San Remo and the light and everything. I have this as well. Yeah. It's like it's committing to it doesn't even have to be commentary. It can be like a, a social event or meeting up with someone, anything. And then and the closer you, oh it yeah, gets. No worries, closing it. Oh uh, you think, why did I say yes to that? Because it's so true. <laughs> <laughs> and it just it creeps up so fast, doesn't it? And then the reality dawns and it is But then when you get there, you actually enjoy it. I do, but I mean I was daunted by it, Pete. I mean it is by far by far the longest commentary job it is possible to do okay, very in, true. In, 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 in the cycling, in this, this profession. Yeah. Like, it beats the world champs, everything, it's the longest race of the year. And you know what world food commentary is like, they keep you commentating for an unnecessary amount of time before, and then particularly after the race is finished. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a big shift. Oh, it's, a, it's, I mean, it's nearly 300 kilometres. Um, but <laughs> did, you see, did you see any of it? I've seen see? the last, maybe, uh, once the crest of the Poggio. Right. And that, that's all. I, that's all I really seen. Once they crested it, yes. Oh, you didn't see, you didn't oh. see the bit just before they crested it. So I was kind of the race around. I was close to the hotel, and the the guys in the car were watching it on their phones. Okay. And then I pulled in at the top of the podio, and we watched it right together. The rest <laughs> of it. But at that point, um, okay. Did yeah, you Vanderpol see? I was already away. Oh, he was already away. Had already done. Well, his the coverage wasn't the great. They kind of missed the moment slightly of when the precise moment he attacked. Yeah, I seen that but on Twitter briefly. Yeah, it's yeah. been reposted, hasn't yeah. it? But but. It's kind of like it was. I don't know. What did you make of it? Because I've like, I've got my own opinions, but I've, I just thought that selection of four was gave it the stamp of real quality. That that like that race. But I I was watching it, and obviously the win was incredible, but it wasn't anything I didn't expect. You know, in terms of I don't know if that's because I was just into a drive and yeah, not yeah, really yeah. paint you know when you watch a race yeah, especially for you <laughs> the whole race and it builds well, up to this it becomes the whole world yeah, it does this one moment what do you mean you didn't like see stage 4 of the UAE tour <laughs> <laughs> and then it's you're just like wow but you know when you just tune in for the last yeah it doesn't have as much meaning yeah, yeah the yeah. whole perception of what's gone on beforehand yeah yeah, it's completely different yeah I suppose I suppose the point was well one of the points was Mathieu van der Poel just came from Torino Adriatico where he was it just wasn't competitive you know he's got Strada he's had no results well, he's it? had no and Strade yeah, yeah he's dropped really early there, so one thing I said that to the guys as well on the team because they get quite I don't know they overanalyze every race and sometimes you've got to look at the bigger picture and the plan and not get too stressed about one result yeah because well cycling's a fickle sport isn't it yeah. And, you know, one result on one week doesn't mean you can turn it around the following week. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, with his win there and the form he was in, obviously it was part of the plan, wasn't it? Yeah, you know? yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> no, it really was. But, it's good, you know, it's one thing to have a plan and another thing to yeah. execute it in the face of, you know, Tade Pogaccia. Although... Yeah, I've got a theory about Tade Pogacar. Anyway, go on. What's the theory? Well, I'll tell you what. Let's let's just hear my little recap of okay. my, my my day at work on Milan San Remo, and then I'll tell you what my theory was.
Well, here we are once again um, at the uh, at the finish line of Milan San Remo. The which edition? How many edition? 114th. Uh, that's, that, that's the voice of uh, Chat Stevens, uh, who is who's going to be working alongside me today. And it's a beautiful day, as it often is here in San Remo. There's a gosh, I mean, it's coming from frigid England. It's an absolute pleasure here to be. Warm Mediterranean sunshine. It is going to be warm today, and it's going to be uh, there'll be a brisk tailwind, which is great news for all commentators who are about to bed in and do. How many hours of commentary do you think? I think because we, we do, we chat for fifteen minutes before the neutral zone, then we chat through the neutral zone, which we, is about. Wait, wait. We're, so we're on air fifteen minutes before they even roll off the line, and then there's an eight-kilometer, nine-kilometer yeah. neutral zone. Yeah. So I reckon we're going to be waffling or, or talking about half an hour before the race actually gets underway and then following the race say let's say six hours fast six six hours 15 six twenty then another half an hour of, of chat uh, and inci- incisive excavation of what actually happened for half an hour afterwards as well <laughs> seven and a half hours yeah around yeah. about that around about that around about that no the first thing the first thing that we have to consider in the bike race is how many riders will be in the breakaway and i think we've nailed that down i've gone five and i've gone six and I think you might be right, actually, thinking about it now, because um, we've both gone there'll be two riders from Bardiani. Definitely. Two riders from Bardiani. Uh, I think... You, you think Aeolo Cometa will double up as well? Two, two, two and two. Two big Italian teams. So there's, there's four. There's four. Uh, one of the Tudors. One of the Tudors. See, Tudor was the team I hadn't factored in. Yeah, and then, uh, one and of then the Tudors. Q- guest team. Yeah. Um, new sponsor. Obviously, won a race the other day. Yeah. And, and I think... Q36.5 Pro Cycling team will have one of their riders in the move as well. Yeah, I might go with you. I think we'll just we'll just double up on that and both go six. And then there's no descent. No, if we're we'll both wrong, we'll be wrong together. No, we can't. There were no large S sort of later on. Sort yeah. of. Yeah. No, there's going to be six in the break. Five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that sort of stuff. But no, it's lots of riders. It's. I've gone. Should we talk briefly? I know About your the, highlighter scheme. Yeah. yeah, I've gone for t- two colours. Orange will come in when we get the breakaway. Yeah, but, but you've. Sorry, I've interrupted you, but I'm just seeing it now for the first time. You described it over breakfast, but yeah. now you've unfolded it. I can see this is revolutionary. It's yeah, uh, pink for punchers, but... But that's only half the story. But it's only half the story. So if it's a puncher that I think is a, a real team leader, they're getting the, the highlighter pen all the way across through their rage into the end of the margin. And if it's somebody that is clearly a classy rider, but it's got a semi-chance, I've only just highlighted the name, not the rest of the column. And I've done the same for the sprinters as well. Although I think every sprinter I've given the full hit... Um, on this occasion, so it's greens and pinks, punchers, and pure pure sprinters. Well, I mean that's that's really interesting. So a good example of that is Wat Van Aert is obviously he's been fully pinked up, fully pinked he's, up. He's a, he's a bona fide puncher, indeed. He's in a way, a super puncher, a super puncher. Um, and but his teammate Christophe Laporte only half half only half pink because I don't think he'll be the leader, but I think he could quite quite realistically win this race. Yeah. Hence, I've given him half, but he won't go into this race as, as the man that's number one. Very, very, very interesting. I haven't actually done my highlighting yet, which has sent me into a slight, slight phase of panic because um, we're on air in an hour. Um, and you could just do that in the neutral zone, couldn't you? Just or, or to be honest with you, I only need the start sheet, fifty k to go. Right, okay. And then just, uh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. What are you going to talk about? Six men in the break. Um, yeah. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. Yeah. The only, the only disappointing thing, because this is a great race, we love, you know, it's normally the first race we do together in the year, isn't it? Milan, come here, San Remo. It's a bit of a kind of touchstone. Real tradition. We always stay in the same hotel, the Hotel Paradiso. It's lovely. It's a nice hotel, isn't it? Really nice hotel. The staff are really lovely. Had a lovely dinner last night. Fish based. Yeah. Almost entirely, which was challenging for you, but you got through it. It was. It was a lot. Luckily, there was a lot of white fish. I sort of steered away from from the shellfish and the crustaceans that that caused me an issue. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, but the controversy down here at the finish line, and this is a repetition of last year when it first you know, oh, you know, came I know to life. I know what you're going to be talking about now. Well, we're yeah. standing here in our commentary position. We've just laid out all our fruitellas and um, pear juice that you very kindly organised from Conad, uh, from the, the store. Um, and that does, there's only scratching the surface of the, all the yeah, other sort yeah. of snacks that you've got on my behalf. I'm very grateful. But we're standing in this commentary tribune on the top deck, and it's been moved, Matt, for the second year in a row. It's yeah. been moved from actually the finish line to not the finish line. It's not the finish line. I actually, I'm looking, I can't, I can't, I can just about see a little piece of tarmac through a series of windows, um, satellite dishes, and dense vegetation, actually, because we're in a small park. <laughs> well, a, a, a tiny green with some palm trees on. And if you look directly out of our country point, well, there's three delightful portaloos to our left, the side of a lorry, and an enormous cherry picker, which our sat satellite dish is situated upon, and um, a shopping street with several chemists and, pharma and pharmacies, and a uh, cinema, uh, yeah, right inside. The Cinema Centrale, which, is, yeah. which has got two films showing. Uh, the first, the first showing in um, Theatre One is at 4:30 this afternoon. It's Educazione Fisica, physical education, uh, with uh, or by Stefano Cipani, the director. Um, if that doesn't take your fancy, you can watch on th in Theatre B What's Love um, by Shekhar Kapoor, and uh, that that actually starts a little bit earlier at 4.15. So if you watch the first 15 minutes of What's Love and it's not for you, I'd suggest just sneak into Educazione Fisica. Yeah, and if they're on a really fast schedule, we might actually, we could do that. Or, luckily there's a second showing of What's Love at 18.40 as well, which we might get in for. Let's go get a coffee. Good morning, wherever you are across the world watching on. It's a pageant, it's a tradition. It's an institution. The first flickerings of spring evoke the same responses in the cycling world year after year. As eventually we'll gaze down on the Ligurian coastline, the wonderful backdrop to the first monument of the season with a rhythm and a cadence all of its own. It's time once more for Milan San Remo. We are inside 200 kilometers to go. There are nine riders at the front of the race representatives of uh, the Italian pro teams, as well as uh, Tudor Pro Racing, and Q36.5 making their debuts on uh, Milan San Remo. Smattering of World Tour talent there as well, a pair of riders from Jaco Alula and uh, Astana for the second year in a row in the shape of Alexander Rabyashenko sending a rider up the road. They've had an advantage that has gone to around about three minutes. It was whittled back down again to two and a half minutes at one point, but it's grown back out to three minutes. 197 kilometers to go and around about 50 kilometers until they get on and over the Paso del Torquino and drop down to the coast. And it's beautiful, warm sunshine, big crowds out by the side of the road and all is under control. Well on to the coastal road now, the Via Aurelia. The nine riders at the front of the race are still together. They've got a gap though that's coming down. 110 kilometers to go. We've still got 50k until we get to the uh, Capo Mele. A little bit more than that, actually, more like 60k. The first of the three capi, and uh, the pressure is on. As there's the attack from Mancha Van der Poel. Van der Poel goes towards that left turn and the descent. Pogaccia, no reaction. Van Aert in trouble. Gana just holding the wheel of Pogaccia. And a brutal attack from Mancha Van der Poel. Paul. A vicious acceleration. That was absolutely sensational. 
What a ride from Mathieu van der Poel. He is dispensed with his old rival. He is dispensed with Tadej Pogacar, the hot pre-race favourite. He has neutralised the power of Filippo Ganna, the rider who came here this time last year. It was the first race in his calendar in 2023. He finished in third place and he went onto the podium with a face that looked like thunder in his disappointment and his muted form in 2023 so far. He has been hiding everything for this moment because he has got this race won. Mathieu van der Poel with an exhibition of attacking strength and tactical mass has done everything right. And this is his reward. The wall of noise, the Villaroma. The race is his. Another monument for Mathieu van der Poel who takes Milan San Remo in brilliant fashion. And so the race is over, finished about uh, three quarters of an hour ago. We've had the podium, we've had uh, all the interviews done and we've just stumbled off air after well over, I think, seven hours. <laughs> uninterrupted commentary on the world feed um it is the longest day that i i do as a commentator or any of us do um ever uh, by far milan san remo the world feed gig but i've really enjoyed it the time just flies by it's weird you think at the beginning how's this even going to work and then somehow the time ticks by and uh, the excitement builds because the the denouement this of this race on the Poggio was as good as it ever is. And uh, yeah, that, that attack by Mathieu van der Poel. It was great to see, it was great to see van der Poel win. I'm sure David would agree because he's a fanboy of Mathieu van der Poel. But it's just good to see him smiling again and enjoying Because there have just been this kind of vague feeling that he's really falling out of love with uh, road racing as the ascendancy of... I'm not sure this isn't the sole reason, but it can't have been easy to watch the ascendancy of uh, Wout van Aert and... Um, and of course, is it long struggles with injury? Anyway, I'm kind of analysing the race. Why am I doing that? I've got endless some um, loads of nonsense now to do and um, little highlights things and all that sort of thing. And then I've got to drive drive um, to, to Nice with some of the production team where we're staying tonight. And um, tomorrow, I'm going to go to the little French village and catch up with the Dignan family. So before we heard all that, Pete, you asked me what my theory was about Tede Pogaccio. Mm -hmm. um, my theory is that <laughs> I don't think he's ever going to win Milan San Remo. And no. actually, because I think it's just the one he can't win. Because the Poggio is the Poggio. And, uh, and it really struck me when I lumbered, I did my traditional run up and over the Poggio, which and I do every year. Well, he, no, yeah, uh, yeah. He, He's never raced it, has he? He's not kind of like... No, but he's yeah. not going to win it, is he? No. So for the same reasons, probably. Similar reasons, yeah. Yeah. And it's just, if the Poggio were like, had one extra sort of like percentage point of gradient... So did you, did the, you, you, know, do you remember the year more, that... So it's the one year that I makes did me it. think, how did Nibali win it? It's just kind of bonkers. But anyway. True. Was it, 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 was what, it raining? No, it was, um, it, was, it was a crisp, clear day as far as I remember. But what you'd have to go and look at is who did he drop? So the one year I did it, there was talk of beforehand of going up another climb, pre-Poggio. And we mm. went and reconned it with G and whoever else was doing the race. 
uh, and it was a brutal climb. Ah, that would uh, it, that would be a shame to introduce the, that in a way, though, wouldn't it? It would. I just Milan San Remo just need to leave it as it yeah, is. Yeah, I it's completely just, agree. That's that's what it is. It's exactly. great. Exactly. You know, and yeah, yeah. Pogaccio may never win it, but the fact that he might, it's just yeah, it's perfect, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and that's exactly what it was. And that's why that's why the, the I tell you what hasn't happened. Sorry, Ned yeah. is uh, sprinting a while. Like the the lights. No, we got out a, a, a graph that just shows the size of the group that comes to finish line, and for the last twenty years, it's been steadily declining. So it's like hand, it's like it's single digit groups that come to the line now, all solo riders. So that's yeah. Don't know what don't know what you read into that, but I did think it, there was something special about <coughs> that particular quartet of riders that went clear, because they're all different. They've all got different, you know. They, you know, it was interesting to see Van Aert on the back foot. Yeah, a little bit. Ghana. It, it, it was interesting to see Pogacar just take the responsibility of, of shaping the race. Yeah. And just at the moment where he just, you know, Van der Poel almost sniffed him out. Okay, that's the moment where he's got nothing left to go, to offer. But the surprise package was Ghana. Mm. I, I, don't think, I don't think we've ever seen him race like that. Never. I mean, that was really... Uh, and his sprint at the end. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think... I don't know if part of that was Van Aert knew the win was gone. And that plays... a Pot, you know, in yeah. some someone like him, we, we didn't really see because we, we just didn't see what happened in the final within the final kilometer. We didn't see what happened to that second group, mm, and true. at what point Ghana, you know, what was Van Aert doing when Ghana went? So um, that was the sort of slightly unknown part of that. But uh, there we go. Um, anyway, I drove back that night to Nice. Yeah. Uh, airport because I had to run someone back to the airport because that's what you do after bike races. One of the sad things it always strikes me as really sad. Do you know one of the things I don't like about Milan San Remo? It makes me feel really melancholic. Mm-hmm. Is the day itself is amazing. I could, I would love when I, you know, one day when I'm not commentating on the bloody thing to actually just go and sit and you know have lunch and then keep keep my eye on what's going on in the race and then you know find my little spot near the Via Roma and actually enjoy you know that sense of anticipation I, I think that'd be br- I think it'd be a really amazing race to watch come in like that and enjoy it but one of the sad things about San Remo is it's normally by the time the sun just dips as it's doing now in this square it's normally quite chilly oh, yeah. in San Remo the, the temperature drops off quite quickly and San Remo empties and like all the riders because it's close to Nice Airport and their homes indeed in, in Monaco and, and you know they just disip- they vanish. No one stay. None of the riders stay in San Remo. It just doesn't happen. If they stay anywhere at all, they stay at Nice Airport. And so this, this sense a, of you yeah. know this glorious kind of event just goes poof and evaporates it's, very quickly. It's probably more impactful because it is San Remo. But this is also like that is professional cycling. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. You know you could win the biggest race of your life, and then the next minute you're in a team car on the way to the airport. Yeah. Because. That's, that's that's what's that's in happens. the plan. And yeah. That's where you've got to go. Yeah, and you don't even have um, really much of a moment to just take it all in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I already thought that when I was when I was riding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because you can't, <laughs> because it's just open roads and it's like there's no kind of tangible evidence. If you went to the Via Roma mm. tomorrow, it would just be the Via. It'd just be just a slightly. A normal, yeah, well, yeah, it is a normal road, really. It is, it? yeah. yeah and there's nothing to kind of, you know. Yeah, the only race you have, you have the opposite is the World Championships, where most teams fly out the next day. Right, because it's at the end of the teams, season, but and national all that, teams, yeah. And yeah. Obviously, you can Tour de France as well. Tour de France as well. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, most Grand Tours actually, all Grand Tours. Yeah. And the yeah. Worlds, and that's yeah. it. Yeah. Other than that, it's 
on to the next on you on go. to the next one yeah on you next go. objective just chalk yeah, it off yeah. Yeah. all right well i'm going to we'll go on to our next objective in this podcast uh, but before <laughs> that before that this So, please have a listen to this bit. Don't fast forward because it supports literally everything else. As you know, because you've actually been listening to this pod, I'm on the road. And packing is not exactly a strength. So with three days to go, for example, on the trip, I'm already onto my last pair of socks. However, I did successfully ensure that I took with me the correct amount of Athletic Greens, which I'm now into my third month of trialling. They make it very easy. Travel sachets are part of the special package for listeners, calibrated with just the right amount uh, to pop daily into their special shaker. It's still a very welcome start to my day. A hit of goodness, because that's the thing about AG1. It's made from natural foodstuffs, and it's pretty much a one-stop shop for all the things your body needs to crack on and keep going, promoting gut health, immunity, boosting energy, and aiding recovery. That's important, since I've actually managed three runs in five days in San Remo, Nice and Lisbon, and frankly, I'm cream crackered. Plenty of you have already signed up, we know that, to take advantage to, of Athletic Green's special offer, just for Never Strays Fire listeners, which includes a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2, and five of those travel packs. To take advantage, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash neverstraysfire. We'll put the link in the show notes too. Now... Back to the pod. So I woke up in, um, after San Remo, uh, Pete, I woke up in a hotel in Nice and um, schlugged Binion <laughs> Did you see the picture I posted on our WhatsApp group? Oh, I did actually. Yeah, I couldn't resist it. If it had been another Antomarche Wanty Gobert rider, I probably would have just carried on walking towards the lift. Was it at breakfast? Yeah, just after after breakfast in the lobby. He was dealing with... He was dealing You're in your private breakfast, aren't you? So I really I'm struggle at breakfast. I'm on it. I don't want to talk to anyone. Don't want to see anyone. Don't want to conversate about what's to come in the day. Absolutely zero conversation out of me. And you are the, the polar opposite. I'm on And totally. I noticed that when we stayed in Maidstone. And you sat opposite Roy Keane. Oh yeah. One morning. Yeah. And I messaged Lauren and I was like, there's no way in hell I would ever, ever want to sit next to Roy Keane. Just bring it on. Having my omelette. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a double espresso breakfast, you know. No. <laughs> but that's like your prime, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And funnily enough, I remember, so it all came as a flashback to me. So I, I walked past Binium Grimai. Like I thought, I can't, it's not like, with respect to the other Antamache wanted Gobert riders, that's Binium Grimai, and it's not an opportunity I'm going to let pass. So I turned around, no, turned on my shouldn't. heel, and I said, Binium. And he turned around. <laughs> I said, mate, just wanted to say hello. <laughs> and I couldn't think out think yeah. what I wanted to say. Yeah. And I've, I've had that time. Did you know who you were? No, of course he didn't know who I was. So this is, this is also the issue. Any UK, any rider from the UK yeah. would just, they'd know who you were. They know your voice. They probably they might. Because yeah, they've grown uh, up yeah. watching and listening to the Tour de France. But that was neither here nor there. The, the, but do you know what I mean? Was, yeah, I do so a little bit. So it was a bit weird that I suppose so. But I, but you know, no, I wasn't. I wasn't going to say hello. I'm, I'm Ned Bolting. I'm, you yeah, know, yeah. I, I, kind of, I wasn't going to yeah, do that. Yeah, because pointless. Because he wouldn't know why, why. Why are you interested in me? He wouldn't so know what ITV was, was either. But then I couldn't explain so. why I was interested in him, uh. other than to say. And then I thought, what? So sometimes when I've done my shows and that, people come up to me and go, "You're right." Oh, and, yeah. and, and unless they follow it up with a kind of like I've read your book or and I really liked it or I really enjoyed the show it's super awkward because I don't know and you must have had this when you were a rider you know like hello 
People just come up to you randomly going, hello, and looking you sort of dead in the eye. And then what do you follow that up with? So I didn't want to be the person who did that so to you've Vinny and So you took experience out of being in his position. A, a little bit, yeah, yeah, a little bit. Although I haven't won Gent Vevelgem or indeed a stage of the Giro. No, of someone coming up to him. Yes, absolutely. So yeah. I have, in my own little way, I've been schlugged occasionally. Yeah. So I didn't want to be the bad schluger. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I was quite a bad schluger. Because oh. I, I, I didn't know, after the initial hello binium, I didn't really know quite what I... Except you say a compliment would except be Except I was obsessed. Good. Yeah, comp- that's exactly what I said. But I... Oh, God, did I... I'm not sure I mis- I mismanaged it a bit. I said, how was, how was your race? You were looking good. And then I said... <laughs> I said, what happened on the poncho? Oh, no. And he went, it, it was hard. And I went, yeah, yeah I can imagine. Because, you know, he, he, we didn't see him towards the front. Which is a shame. Because I thought he would have been, like, right in the mix there, actually. Yeah, he's, he's the kind of rider who could do really well. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, but then no sprinter was. And he, he is, I know he's he's a different type of sprinter. He's it, got a huge kick on him. He is that kind of sprinter, but though. He is that kind of sprinter. Look at the front group. That, isn't I think it? that's the difference. And yeah, you know, uh, he beat Mathieu van der Poel on an uphill sprint in the Giro to yeah. take that win. Yeah, fair and square. Yeah, yeah. So he's got that kind of power, but I don't know. His ability don't know to absorb the the power on the Poggio, uh, uh, stay with it, and then be there. What he couldn't have done, I think, and where he where he probably is still at the point, just a little bit in the in the group behind the others, is when Pogacar because Pogacar opened up the hostilities. Well, Wellens, wasn't it, really? Yes, set. sorry, Wellens, you, you, see, you did, yeah, you've seen it. So, Wellens set that up and Pogacar accelerated yeah. off Wellens, but it was Pogacar's, you know, move yeah, that prized yeah. those four yeah. away. Yeah. That's where only the likes of Van Aert and Van Der Poel, possibly mm-hmm. an informal Philippe, yeah. can follow. Mm-hmm. And that's where Binim Gramai, that's the, that's the thing that he's got, that, you know, if he's going to really move on, you know, mm-hmm. don't know if you can do. Anyway, I didn't go into all this kind of detail in the lobby of the Campanile no. Nice Airport. <laughs> but I did, I was suddenly got a flashback to, I've been to this, I've been to this, because this is another bike racing thing. Mm-hmm. You suddenly go, I've been to this hotel. Bit of deja vu. Uh, total. Uh, like, totally accurate deja vu. Like, I've been to this hotel, and I remember, I don't know which year it was, but I remember mm-hmm. having breakfast with Matt Rendell in the Campanile Nice Airport and watching Tom Dumoulin because uh, the DSM team was staying there or somewhere and um, and I kind of like I didn't schlug him because he, lo- he had a face like a slapped ass. and I remember thinking at the time thinking and I took away I took away this sensation of this kind of feeling about Tom Dumoulin that I'm not sure he enjoys this yeah he wasn't talking to any of the riders yeah he yeah. wasn't like I don't know. It was just a really strong impression that there was a guy who was unhappy in his own skin. Yeah, and I, yeah. I picked that up simply by the way that he was taking pineapple Isolating chunks. himself a little bit. <laughs> yeah. No, but you can, can't you? A little bit you can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's a very long story. You could pick it up on any human though, couldn't you? Yeah. 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 That's a very long story. Um, I stayed in Nice and I did a little bit of tourism that you're about to hear now that culminated in um, hooking up with um, Lizzie and Phil Dignan. Well, it's the day after that epic uh, Milan San. Re- there you go. I've used the word epic. Didn't really mean to, but I've used it. It's the day after Milan San Remo, the 114th edition, and that amazing uh, finale with that quartet of riders: Pogacar and, and Van der Poel, Van Aert, and Filippo Ganna. What a ride that was from him, by the way. Um, my voice is a bit hoarse for obvious reasons. Um, 
beautiful weather down here. Um, I've actually crossed back uh, last night from San Remo back into France. I was staying to run someone back to the airport and I was staying at an airport hotel. And this morning, um, eventually I'm going to make my way up to uh, up to uh, that French village that Lizzie Dignan referred to continually throughout our podcasts together in the uh, during the Tour de France, otherwise known as Monaco. Um, this afternoon to catch up with the Dignan family and see how uh, how Lizzie's getting on on her imminent uh, return to racing. At least that was the plan last time I saw her. So. That'll be interesting. Um, but anyway, I've got the morning off, so I've been for a run down the Promenade des Anglais. And uh, now I've taken the train from Nice. Uh, it takes about 50 minutes through Monaco, and then just out the other side, even closer to the Italian border that I just crossed last night, um, to Monton, which is this uh, incredibly pretty, very expensive uh, old town. Uh, built in a little bay and surrounded by um, surrounded by really quite vertiginous hills. And the reason that I've come to Monton is A, I've never been here before, and B, um, it is one of those places that uh, appears in my uh, my book that I can now talk about, my 1923 book, uh, which is available at all all good outlets on on June the 22nd, and which I whose publication I announced the other day. Anyway, the reason that Monton um, pokes its head above the parapet is that one, it was it was part of the the 1923 Tour de France route, and two, there was a resident of Monton, um, a long-time resident of Monton, who lived in this villa, which I'm just walking up to the gates of. It's closed today, so I won't be able to get inside, but I'm kind of like surrounded by the gardens. A huge villa overlooking Monton, called Les Colombières. And that was the home for many, many years of a French writer called Augustine Thuillery. And um, that's not the name she published under, actually. She published under the name G, the letter G, Bruno, um, under a pseudonym, uh, which actually stood for the Italian philosopher Giordano uh, Bruno. Anyway. The reason she pops up in a book about the Tour de France is because I think you can credit her um, with the first sort of printed use, perhaps, of the phrase Le Tour de France. Um, I should explain. In 1877, she published a book called Le Tour de France par deux enfants. Uh, the Tour de France by two children. And it's published in 80, 1877. And um, by the outbreak of the First World War, it had sold something like nine million copies. Uh, it was, if you like, an educational text for school children to learn about uh, the country of France. It's an incredibly patriotic um, story written uh, in the fairly immediate aftermath of the Franco-Prussian War, which ended in 1871. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a source of great national humiliation, uh, for a long time and only really resolved well arguably didn't resol- hasn't yet fully resolved itself but resolved itself only with the Treaty of Versailles in 1919 and all the sort of like you know troubles that that brought with it but um, but yeah the, the, Le Tour de France par deux enfants tells a story of two orphaned um, young young men teenage boys who um, the, the opening scene 
they they say goodbye to their father who is dying of um, wounds inflicted by the Germans in the Alsace-Lorraine in the Franco-Prussian War. And the father commands them to go off and explore the country, which is their patrie. And so they do, and they set off, and they literally circumnavigate France in a route not dissimilar in many ways to a tour de France, you know, describing the coastline and hugging hugging the very perimeters of, of, the, of the country. And um, she also wrote an update many, many years later in 1916, in the middle of the, the First World War, where she was already in her late, late 80s, um, which was much, much gloomier. And it was called the Tour de, de, de l'Europe, I think. So the Tour of Europe, uh, Pendant la Guerre, during the war. Really dark book, full of kind of bleak prejudice and uh, yeah, understandable, well, does it understand what I don't know? It's a, it's a, it's it's a it's a tough read if I'm going to be honest. But anyway, Le Tour de France par deux enfants was a staple of French education, right the way through to um to the late 1960s, and by 1968 it had been printed uh, into its 400th and 411th edition, and every school kid of a certain age uh, throughout you know the best part of well the best part of a hundred years was educated by reading uh, Le Tour de France. Par deux enfants. And um, here I am, I've just sat myself down on a rock by the side of the road. The gates to Le, Le Colombier, this beautiful villa in Monton, are sadly shut, but at least it gave me an opportunity to tell you that story. So, anyway, I, I left myself plenty of time and I arrived um, in the town which dares not say its name um, and uh, and promptly set off leaving the railway station and I think obviously the wrong direction trying to rely on my phone to navigate me to Lizzie and Phil's house and um, it just started well if you've ever been here it's you, 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 part of walking from A to B involves getting in lifts that seem to shoot down the cliff face and then you end up in a shopping centre and a park that you don't know whether it's a park or someone's garden and you're about to be shot by a sniper Anyway, I was just kind of wandering around, uh, you know, in increasing desperation, having left myself almost an hour for a quarter of an hour journey. And, um, and uh, then I got a message saying they were running a bit late. Um, but then at precisely that moment, I realised by pure chance, I was in the street that I was supposed to get to. That said, that said, I'm, I've kind of seen a sign to the number for the building I'm supposed to liaise in. And um, I'm kind of standing, at, I just can't find the building at all. So I failed. Um, completely, and I'm just now waiting for Lizzie and Phil to rescue me. Um, so I've, I've I've made it basically. Um, I was just sitting there in the sunshine. I sent a little message to to Lizzie saying uh, I've just given up. I collapsed outside. What's that place on the corner called? The um, the pressing. Oh, no, there's a baker, and then there's a dry cleaners or something, isn't there, Phil? Yeah, it's a weird mix of sort of yacht brokers and estate agents and a bakery and a and a. <laughs> Say caca, Daddy. No, I can't say caca. No. <laughs> That's all his first contribution to Never Strays Far, and uh, she's absolutely nailed it. That's brilliant. Um, and I've made it, and I'm here, and um, I'm standing in the Dignans flat where they've lived for 10 years, and the spectacular view, and I've just met Orla and Shay for the first time. And Shay is six months old and a little bit less vocal, aren't you, Shay? Cuckoo. No. Oh, yeah, he tries to eat the microphone. <laughs> Um, uh, so anyway, a little bit of Paw Patrol's getting fired up. Yeah, we are cheating. <laughs> We're cheating. Orla, go and watch Peppa Pig in your bedroom. <laughs> 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 
Anyway, so thank you for inviting me in, into, into your house. It's very nice to be here. Um, how's life been, Phil, as a, as a two-time dad now? Uh, it's been a mix. In a way, like, some things oh, feel... Okay. Uh, quite a muted start. No. <laughs> in, in a lot of ways, as I'm sort of feeding him here, yeah. you, you get used to handling sort of spinning plates a bit more. And um, some things, a lot of things are easier. But then sort of trying to manage too is obviously a lot harder. But then again, you're so much more confident in terms of what you're doing. And I think Lizzie's been the same as well with the comeback. A bit more reassurance there knowing she's done it before and yeah. confident that she's made the comeback once before so she can do it again. So yeah. um, Plus he's, he's a lot easier than Orla was in fairness. So. Okay, that's uh, been recorded for posterity, so yes. in years to come you can play play that to her. I have it's no problem sharing that with Orla <laughs> in 10, 12 years' time, no problem. And Lizzie, um, so the last time we saw you, how pregnant were you in July? Like, I can't quite remember, seven months pregnant or something like that? Too pregnant to be riding down outdoors on a Brompton. <laughs> yeah, I was about did you admit to doing that? Yeah. Yeah, I did, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, come on, it was fun. It was fun, yeah. I think I was about seven months pregnant, yeah. And then, uh, so Shay was born when? He was born on the 24th of September, a day after his sister. So. Ah, that's crafty. And, um, you know, it's a it's kind of classic question, isn't it? That's probably none of my business, but did it, did it all go well? <laughs> uh, no. Was it, it fun? was it a lot of fun? Do you have a lot of fun? <laughs> uh, 20 hours of fun, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. We made it, but, um, yeah. 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 He's, he got here safely and there was no complications. So, no, we can't complain. No, we were pretty lucky, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, <laughs> it's always traumatic. I think it's more traumatic for the, well, the partners. I agree. Always, yeah, I agree. And I, I think, honestly, I don't think I'll come for the next one. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. This isn't 1950s Ireland. You're, you'll be coming. I'll go off the pub and call me when you're done. I think I admitted, I think I might have admitted on the podcast we did in the summer to Lizzie that I... With I think our first or second, I can't remember. I was in charge of packing the bag that you take to the hospital with the snacks. Do you remember? Did I admit that to you? And I packed a pot noodle and some Bombay mix or something like that. <laughs> I mean, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so well, anyway, that was the that was the sort of minor detail that happened towards the back end of your year. The, the main highlight was being the store of the Never Strays Car uh, podcast, wasn't it, Lizzie? I would imagine. Yeah, it was fun actually. Yeah, I had a lot of nice feedback for that, Ned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even my dad listens to it. Really? Yeah. And he's not a natural podcast listener, would you suggest, or is he quite? Yeah. No, definitely not. But he's quite into it. Yeah, he's a big fan of yours. So. Oh, is he? Which is a big deal because <laughs> he doesn't really like people. So. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Oh, that's that's fantastic. Thank you very much, yeah. Mr. Armitstead. What's his name? John. John, thank you very much, John. Um, uh, you better listen to that. That's good. That's good. Um, so th the question that we all want to know is, when are you coming back to ITV and to the, the podcast world? We'll talk about the racing in a bit, the detail. But, I mean, when, are you, when do you think it might be? <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at Phil here. Uh, whenever you'll have me, honestly, yeah. Well, the Tour de France starts on... <laughs> <laughs> you might be quite busy this summer, though, anyway. Yeah, I'm a bit busy racing, but it, it was really insightful to do something different, and it was it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed working with everyone. Yeah, it was good. How did you rate her performance? Because obviously you're a veteran of 20, the 2019 Tour de France, and you did a Tour de Yorkshire with us once, didn't you? As well, I yeah, seem to remember. Yeah, I did. I was I was amazed at how well Lizzie totally winged it. 
because she didn't watch any bike racing that year. Oh, no, oh, no, don't say that. <laughs> she watched a bit of bike racing, in fairness, but um, she, like, well, I know, like, a, like Lizzie's just a natural, you know. She's very, um, you know, confident and, and comes across really well and knows her tactics uh, really well. So yeah. I, I, I had no doubts that she would have been great anyway, so, and, and she was. Actually, thinking about it, last time we did see you, I think we briefly saw you on the Champs-Élysées with the start of the Tour de France femme, but you just came to the start, didn't you? I think you were doing some bits and pieces for Trek. Yeah, yeah, I was working with Trek, um, and then then I was too pregnant to travel and follow the women's tour, so I had to go home. But um, yeah, it was pretty special. I was glad I was there. It was yeah. it was good to be there. Yeah, that race could that have gone that first edition any better than it did? I mean, in terms of the various stage winners, the riders who ended up in the jersey, the overall, the eventual winner. You know, apart from your participation, obviously that would have made a difference from your point of view. But it went, it got off to a cracking start, didn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think it was a real success. Um, I think everyone was happy to see Mariana in yellow, things like that. And then, kind of the inevitable winner, Anamique, was obvious to us all on the start line that she was going to come away with the win. So it was cool though that she didn't you know getting yellow on the first day it was quite a dynamic and interesting race i thought yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so where are you at with um training and all that how long did you leave it after she was born before you were actually you know training quite intensively uh so i took about four and a half weeks off the bike i think totally off and then i started riding my bike which was totally different to training you know um started training i would say on the first of december so about yeah six seven, eight, <laughs> uh, about eight weeks. I had about two months of just getting used to life with a baby and, you know. And is that what you did first time around with Orla, a similar kind of gap, or did you leave it a little bit longer this time? Uh, no, with Orla, it took longer to recover from the birth, so I was about six weeks before I was on the bike. Oh, okay. um, but I was much fitter when I gave birth to Orla. The pregnancy with the show was much harder. I was heavier and just, yeah much more fatigued right. so my starting point was lower with Jay yeah but then weirdly I'm fitter so I don't I don't really <laughs> I don't really know my coach knows maybe but it's it's yeah. been a funny funny journey you sort of think you assume you know what it's going to look like but each baby is different I mean yeah. Orla was incredibly difficult as a newborn she never slept longer than 45 minutes whereas Shay from the beginning has been able to do three four hour stretches so it's it's yeah. totally different, you know? Yeah. How are the numbers, Phil? That's what coaches have to talk about. The numbers are good, huh? The numbers are very good, though. <laughs> I think uh, top form in, uh, in May, yeah. No, it's, um, I think, uh, yeah, it's like Lizzie said, I think the, the pregnancy with, with Shay was tougher. Um, and then the build-up's been a bit slower, but I don't think that's a bad thing, really, because it's, I think part of the main, well, Part of the problem was with Orla being in school and you got sick quite a few times. Yeah. And then there was some enforced rest put in there sort of sporadically every four to six weeks, which wasn't a bad thing. Um, but I think, yeah, you're, the numbers are... Yeah. He's always telling me, why aren't you racing yet, basically? He wants rid of me. So, <laughs> the, um, I think you told me that your starting point was going to be May in the Vuelta, yeah? Uh, which I remember you broke that news to us when we recorded our little Christmas quiz and um, none of us knew that the Vuelta was in May, which is a great head start. Because they've kind of, I'm not sure how many people know that actually. It's been sort of, it hasn't made headline news, has it, that the Vuelta has moved and it's bigger. 
Uh, no, they received a bit of criticism, uh, particularly from, like, there was an FDJ guy, director, one of the directors there made a quite a public remark about the fact that they'd not released their route up until about a, two weeks ago. Okay. And he was kind of remarking, you know, how can you expect us to treat you, the race in on the same standing as the Tour de France if you can't even prepare for it properly because you don't know the route. But they have released the route. Um and it's pr- it's a pretty tough route, actually. Yeah, so there's a couple of summit finishes in there and stuff, so... Um, Put a time trial in there, or...? There is a time trial, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, so you, you like a tough racer, don't you? I mean, that suits you, right? I think so, yeah. I mean, it's hard to... I mean, the Vuelta is just about getting my race legs back and then seeing where I'm at, I suppose. I was kind of hoping to be able to peak at the women's tour, but I think unfortunately that's probably not going to happen so it's kind of left me a bit sort of unsure exactly how to structure the year because the world is in august as well so it's yeah it's a bit of a funny year because uh, i kind of will get my racing legs back be peaking in june somewhere and maybe there's nothing to peak for so kind of need to stretch it out and peak later on it's, it's i don't know yeah. tricky <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to capture that if it was just about to happen, but there's no. Is there a burp about to happen, Shay? No, that's that's stunned him into silence. Um, oh, really? So you you got a bad feeling about the women's tour? I mean, it does feel really precarious, doesn't it? Or are you just preparing yourself for the possibility that you know it's not going to happen? I mean, they needed to find I think five hundred thousand in a couple of weeks, and I mean, at the moment, who's got five hundred thousand to just kind of give away? Nobody. So. Um, I mean, it's not giving it away. It's a solid investment. You'd, I think you'd, you know, you'd get your money back in terms of exposure because they do such a good job. It's a professional race, but um, yeah, it's it's a difficult climate to find that kind of money. There we go. <laughs> Fair play. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I got that. And um, yeah. Well, good luck with the recommencing it all, um, Lizzie. And good luck with everything else. And you know, if a gap does come in your diary, you'd be welcome back with open arms. Maybe not so much to ITV, but definitely to the podcast. <laughs> no, ITV would have you back like a shot, okay, heaven's sake. Good. Well, that's That'd my retirement plan, then, so come on. Can you teach her how to change a puncture on a Brompton, though? No one knows how to change no. a puncture. No one knows how to change a puncture on a Brompton. <laughs> Take care, guys. Thank you. So, um, they were asking after you, Pete? Oh, were they? Yeah. Genuinely. Very kind yeah. of them. Very nice of them. And David. Oh, David? we need to hear from David. We need to bring up, we need to bring, briefly bring you up, up to date with um, David's adventures, which we're going to feature in, in podcasts to come at a little bit more length. Um, but David is, I think as we speak, two stages into the Cape Epic, which is eight stages long. Yeah. Something like that. You, you've been coaching Fran, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, how's that been going? Well, the coaching up to the race has Oh, been I see. Is she on her own now? A little bit. <laughs> My job's done to a certain point. Um, and I have felt a little bit guilty because, well, the last You're busy. three to four days have been quite hectic. Yeah. Yep. 
So, um, yeah, I'm trying to touch base with her today, see how she's getting on. Cool. Sounds like David's having a bit of a rough <laughs> He's time. He's having a bit of a rough time. <laughs> he was promising audio diaries and all that sort of thing of the first, but they haven't materialised yet. I'm sure they will. Um, but uh, he's been a little bit unwell. So this is the latest news from Cape Town. Hello, Ned, Pete. Um, I'm laying here in the back of the camper that I'm sharing with my sister. Um, it's 8.35 in the evening on Tuesday, the 21st. Uh, three stages done. Well, it was a prologue and stage one and stage two today. Uh, we were in the saddle for 7 hours 50 today. Um, similar yesterday. Oh, no, 7 hours 20, I think, yesterday. Uh, I can safely say that yesterday uh, I decided about 70 k's in that it was in my top 10 most terrible days on a bike um so i wasn't expecting that when i came to cape epic but i kind of came down sick with this stomach bug that's going around everywhere and i just literally my sister ended up nursing me home the final 30 k's with little remarks like come on buddy you're gonna be okay and i wasn't okay um i couldn't even descend my brain had disappeared i was missing turns and couldn't choose the right line and when i crossed the line i actually lay down in fetal position um i didn't care what people thought um my glasses were squint uh, as i was laying in the grass and i didn't care really didn't care um i then got up um had a shower but only because i was so muddy and dirty um i knew it would be unhygienic for me not to shower had a shower and then came back to the camper to where i'm lying now um climbed into my bed and didn't leave until the start this morning and didn't eat a thing either. Um, my sister just kept giving me carbo-loaded drinks to sip on, and that's what I did. Um, and started stage three with great trepidation. Uh, thankfully, it went okay, but holy cow, this race is epic. Um, it's really hard. Pete, uh, I can just say that Pete Kenny has done a fantastic job of training my sister these last months because she's in great form, handling it well, and considering she'd never ridden a mountain bike before until recently, she's learning quickly because this stuff isn't easy. Um, and yeah, and nice thing is we're parked up in our camper village and we're parked up next to Mitch Docker and Ian Boswell, also known as Digger and the Doughboy who are here and leading the amateur category. Um, we did hang out with them after the prologue. It was quite nice. Um, we'd set up a little, put our campers facing each other and, uh, you know, had little chairs out and all that sort of thing and, and chips and dip and they had some beers. And um, But then since then, we've all been buggered and hiding in our campers, basically. Although we did go out for dinner this evening, uh, just around the corner to an Italian to get some pasta in because there were gale force winds yesterday that blew down all the catering. That's just another thing that happened yesterday. Uh, so there you go. I am getting some proper recordings, so perhaps next week I can do a, um, a little recap segment for Never Strays Far uh, once I'm out of here, because my bandwidth is pretty complete now. Uh, I very quickly moved into survival mode. Uh, hope you're well. And... If anybody wants to follow what's going on, uh, I'm doing a diary for an email diary like I did at the tour last year. So sign up to that. You'll see it on my socials and stuff. Um, yeah, getting my athletes, athletic greens down me as well. But um, that's about all I can get down me. All right. Hope you guys are having fun. And Pete, tomorrow. Well, good luck, David. Good luck, Fran, yeah. for the rest of it, you know. 
hope, it, um, hope you maybe get through all this. Maybe the full smoothie. Um, and tomorrow, yeah, so we're going to... Big day for you tomorrow. Massive. What's my... So you've, you're in your head DS thing. You've been sort of like instructing everyone to be where they need to be. And I've got to be where? When? Um, you're in the passenger seat in the team car. Are you driving? My daily plan. Look. Wow. Staff, Pete, Aaron, Ned in team Mate, car. I'm on the official call sheet. Yeah. Pete, Aaron, Ned. Oh, okay. So Aaron's a mechanic. Yeah. He'll sit in the back because that's where the spare wheels are. Jacob, I've met. He's in the camper. Okay. Yeah. He'll right. be doing feeds. Clara will be doing feeds in the T6. So I'm Transporter. In Have I got any responsibilities other than podcasting? No. Just <laughs> take it all in. Take it all in. Absorb it. Yeah. There's no radios, which is slightly annoying for me as a director because he's just less hands-on. Yeah. And you, you feel like a bit of a spectator at certain points. Yeah. Um, and then you hear about stuff a little bit later than you normally would because you're just relying on the commissaires to tell you, radio yeah. tour to tell you that yeah. Trinity Rider needs help. Yeah. So, uh, but it'd be exciting. Yeah, it'd be super exciting. Put your seatbelt on. <laughs> yeah. And also, you'll have to tell me t- in, in the next pod that we do about the, um, the the meeting that you've just come from with the director of sportives. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. that was a good story as well, it's wasn't it? It's quite a good story, yeah. It's a very good story. But we're going to save all that for a, um, a special pod in, in maybe in a, like a few days' time. Well, it's um, like a... Life on the Road with Trinity. Or a, yeah, uh, yeah, in Portugal. That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's the next pod. In the meantime, though, you've been listening to Never Strays Far from Portugal. Never Strays Faro. We could have called it oh, if we'd good. been in Faro, but we're absolutely we're nowhere near, near Faro. <laughs>